for tuning in to the 472nd episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, Daryl D. Lane, as always, wherever you are, however you may be listening, I thank you for making me and this show part of your day, whether it be a Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Air Radio, SoundCloud, Pandora, whichever podcasting app or platform you may be listening to me via being recorded from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, per the new usual. Going to have a great podcast for you guys today. Going to have Justin Garcia on studio, host for the Milwaukee Bucks. We talk about everything. We talk a little bit about uh, Kevin Durant. Uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, kind of his rise to NBA prominence when Justin knew that Giannis was going to really be a star in this league, how underrated Chris Middleton was, uh, rivalries the Milwaukee Bucks have, kind of the Milwaukee Bucks postseason at large with Chris Middleton getting hurt. So we dived into a lot of a lot of good stuff. Now, before we get to that conversation, I'm going to give my shameless plug as always. First time listener, thank you. But subscribe and follow right now. Also, share this podcast with your friends and family. Whether via Reddit threads, Facebook groups, etc., etc., check on the description below, specifically view Spotify. I have everything timestamped. You can look on the timestamp and we'll send you to whichever part of the podcast you would most like to listen to, folks. It is for your convenience. Follow me on Twitter at nighttrain underscore lane and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Just type in Daryl Lane. You will find it. I post two five minute clips of this podcast right here, as well as my syndicate show outside the shop. And lastly, if you have Apple or iTunes, give me five stars and a great review. For some odd reason, right? If you want the pod, then don't say anything. Because, you know what your mama told you? If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. And now it's time for one of my monologues that my good friend Kenny Sim loves so very, very much. So Kevin Durant resends his trade request. It seemed like a few months ago, mid-July, early July, Kevin Durant's like, I want to leave the Brooklyn Nets. And now it seems everything has quite literally changed. And to me, when I hear that, I'm like, it's like, okay, whatever. So I just want to give you guys a timeline of all this craziness with Kevin Durant. It starts like this. Harden quits on the team. Kyrie doesn't get the vaccine that sequentially hurts the team. Kyrie talks like he's the owner, Mr. Josai or Sean Mark saying like, me, Joe, and Sean, we got to make decisions, right? A little delusional. Kyrie disrespects Steve Nash, the head coach. Apparently, he would run his own practices after Steve Nash's practice, and he told Steve Nash he didn't have to listen to him because he was a thief. He stole Kobe's two MVPs. And then you have the Nats obviously push back to what Kyrie was doing, and they decide not to give Kyrie the deal he wants, and then all of a sudden now Kevin Durant saying, I want out. KD meets with Josiah in London, and he demands Sean Marks and Steve Nash get fired, or he's not rescinding his trade request. Josiah comes out and says, no, we support Steve Nash and Sean Marks fully. Then, miraculously, Kevin Durant rescinds the trade request. Now... There's a Drake song called No Friends in the Industry, and there's a lyric that I really think is apropos for this. Why they always act like we can fix it with a meeting? Why? After all the damage is done, it took a meeting to fix everything? That's a lot of trauma. So here's what you're telling me. If you believe everything is kosher and fine and Kevin Durant's going to stay in Brooklyn and they're going to compete for championships... Not even win a championship, compete for a championship. What you're telling me is this. After all that drama, after all that trauma, all that drama that resulted in trauma, right, that Kevin Durant went through from Harden quitting on the team, Ben Simmons, I didn't even mention Ben Simmons, him deciding he doesn't want to play basketball, Kyrie Irving doing whatever the hell he pleases, nobody respecting Steve Nash, Kevin Durant wanting Steve Nash and Char Marks gone, Joe Sy saying no, and Kevin Durant like, okay, then they all have a meeting with Steve Nash, Joe Sy, Kevin Durant. And John Marks, and they figured it all out. You're saying they figured it all out. It was that easy. Folks, if it was that easy, there would have never have been a trade request in the first place. If it were that easy, they would have figured out the Kyrie Irving situation a long time ago. 
If it were that easy, all these leaks and reports wouldn't have been coming out. Now, of course, Brooklyn doesn't want to trade Kevin Durant. Why would they? Why would they? Right? Top five player. They're not going to get equal value for it. I don't think Kevin Durant's trade value is even as good as you may think he is because of his age, mileage, and injury history in the league. And based off the fact that teams aren't going to uh, give up everything for a guy with all those, the age, the injury history, and, and the mileage on his body. So I understand why uh, Brooklyn has no interest, right? And, and Kevin Durant has a four-year contract. He's locked in with Brooklyn for four years. So I understand why Brooklyn has no interest. But to say that this ends like a happily ever after, this is a happy ending, this is a fairy tale ending, that is far from the truth, folks. You know, there's a saying, I want volunteers, not hostages. Kind of sounds like what happened was they were like, well, you love playing basketball, Kevin. You're a hooper. You're getting paid a lot of money. We have control over you for the next four years contractually. And with all that, we decided we don't want to trade you because we're not going to get a fair offer back. Deal with it. KD's like, well, all those reports about him potentially sitting out or retiring are false. Kevin Durant said they were false. And Kevin Durant's like, check, mate. And Kevin Durant's not the guy to cause an issue. But for anybody to think that this is the end of all the mess that has gone on in Brooklyn, for the Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving era, you would be sorely, sorely, erroneously mistaken. This isn't the end. This is just the beginning. And kind of next at the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, we're going to have Justin Garcia on the show to talk some Milwaukee Bucks. Kind of next at the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. The action never ends at DraftKings Sportsbook, especially this summer. With tons of ways to bet on all your favorite sports, you can fuel your fandom and feel the heat of the season like never before. Plus, right now, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving new customers a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's right, folks, $1,000. Make your first bet up to $1,000, and if it doesn't win, you'll get another shot to cash in. I know. Great deal, right? You should take it right now. You can throw down on all the major action for baseball, golf, MMA, and more. Plus, with the same game parlay spreads, money lines, over-unders, and props, your betting options feel endless. Best of all, DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Great deal. Again, should take it, folks. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TPPN. Make your first deposit and get a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's promo code TPPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Barbershop Sports Talk, and we have a very special guest with us, Justin Garcia, studio host for the Milwaukee Bucks. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing absolutely fantastic. So my first question for you is this. If Chris Middleton never gets hurt, let's say in an alternate reality, he never gets hurt against the Chicago Bulls, what happens to Milwaukee Bucks at the end of the season? Uh, I mean, it's hard not to think they win that series and are playing for another championship. I mean, it's been interesting with Chris, and I don't want to take anything away from the Celtics. They were a really good team, and I think going into the playoffs, we all around the team and a lot of fans especially, we all had Boston circled. Even before they started to do what they did in late January, there was a couple of matchups we had with the Celtics earlier in the year. There was a Christmas Day game that went down to the wire, there's another one earlier in the season where the Celtics are just a team that matches up well with the Bucks because of their wings. So that was the one team I think you kind of had circled and said, uh, I'd like to face this team as late as possible in the playoffs. And when the Middleton injury happened, it was really interesting on a lot of fronts because, for one, this is a really... Uh, like I don't want to say private organization, but they keep a lot of things close to the vest. And when Chris Middleton went down in Game Two against the Bulls, 
you know, you look back at how the, the Brooke Lopez situation was handled where there was a lot of ambiguity and we weren't sure for a while. Did he have surgery? What was the back issue? And, and we just kept being told he's progressing well and, and we expect he'll come back, which he eventually did. So that was handled one way. When Chris Middleton went down in the Bulls game, as soon as Bud sat down for the postgame presser, he came out and said that Chris suffered an MCL sprain, so we're reevaluating from there. And, and a few of us kind of looked at each other like, well, this is interesting that they're already coming out this open about this injury that kind of leads you to believe this is bad. And I know there was some conflicting reports over when he would return, but Chris himself said after the season, you know, Best case scenario for me is I, I might have been able to play in the finals with the timeline. Uh, so that you knew was going to be difficult. But just seeing the way the series went, it's hard not to think the Bucks wouldn't have beaten that Celtics team if they were fully healthy. And Chris Middleton's a big reason, obviously, because of his importance to the team. But Chris Middleton's had some big games against the Celtics, and specifically in the playoffs against the Celtics throughout his career. So I think you really saw the last two years – if you were one of the holdouts that didn't really buy into the importance of Chris Middleton and how good he is, I think you really saw the importance because they don't reach the finals two years ago without Chris Middleton doing what he did. And maybe they get to the finals again last year if Chris Middleton is on that team. Let's say, so the series with Boston went seven. If Chris Middleton's there, do you think the Bucks went six, five? I think it would still be seven. Um, I don't think it's as easy as to say, well, Chris is here, so they win in five, or they win in six. I mean, I, I think a lot of things would change in that series, uh, but I, I think the Bucks, you know, would have won. And I think the other big thing is uh, one of the guys that took a lot of heat during that series was uh, George Hill, who I think was still battling through some injuries. And Grayson Allen's another one who, who played really well as soon as Chris went down against the Bulls. In the Celtics series, it was a tough matchup for him. So he looks a lot different if Chris Middleton is on the floor with him than he did kind of having to step into that role. The Celtics are a tough matchup for a lot of teams, but especially for a guy like Grayson where they have a lot of length that can prevent him from driving to the basket, which is something he's really underrated at doing, and just have a lot of guys in the perimeter to throw at him. It became a tough matchup, and I think it kind of clouded the importance of Grayson Allen and how good he actually was for this team last year, just because it forced him to move up to a spot that he he isn't really at that level. So I think it's a number of things that I think it's kind of the butterfly effect that it changed a lot of things within that series. And the other part too, that you have to point out in Celtics favor was, you know, they actually got better in the series without Robert Williams, which we thought would be the opposite, that once he went down at the midpoint of the series, you thought that was something that was going to be a big, big boost for the Bucks. And as we saw, it, it actually helped the Celtics because having one less shooter on the floor helped the way the Bucks played defense. And once they spread everything out, it, it just made it not impossible, but really difficult to put Brooke Lopez on the floor at times. So I think both teams can point to what ifs. Obviously, the Bucks have the bigger one. Uh, but either way, I mean, that's, you know, I think that was the fifth time those two franchises have played a seven-game series in the playoffs. So the majority of the time they match up, it goes seven games. And I think that would have been the case even if Chris was fully healthy. Yeah, and to that, do you think Milwaukee and Boston, you know, this current iteration with like Jalen Brown, Tatum, Giannis, Middleton, it was, it's becoming kind of like a budding rivalry because you think about it. Uh, the year the Celtics went to the conference finals and they lost LeBron, they went seven games with the Bucks. Then it's the next year, uh, Kyrie's back, uh, Milwaukee beats them in five. Then they play again this year. Then it's a really tough contested seven game series. And I think everybody thinks they're probably the two favorites in the Eastern Conference to meet again in the Eastern Conference finals next year. Yeah, it's a good question. It's something that we've kind of, um, kind of brought up a, a handful of times around here is, you know, who is the Bucks' rival? Because it's it's never really been the Bulls. And, and proximity-wise, Milwaukee and Chicago are always kind of rivals in all sports. But the Bucks and the Bulls have just, this, this past year was a rarity where they were both playoff-caliber teams at the same time. When the Bulls were really good with Michael Jordan, the Bucks were really bad. When the Bucks have gotten really good, the Bulls have been mediocre or bad. 
76ers are another one that there's kind of something there. It felt like there was something that was building with the Raptors. You played them two times in three years in the playoffs, and one was the conference finals. But to your point, the Celtics are the team that just keeps kind of coming back to them. It was a big rivalry in the 80s. The Bucks are maybe the best team in the 80s to not play for a championship, and the Celtics were a big reason why. And now you've played them three times in the playoffs since Giannis has been there that you, know, you look around the East, and I, I think it really is the Celtics. As much as Bucks fans, I think, would point to the Heat just because of uh, playing them in the playoffs a couple of times and, and, and how the bubble year ended with that embarrassing loss to Miami. Uh, but I landed on the Celtics, and I, I think that is the Bucks' biggest rival, and especially this year, where they're probably going to be the co-favorites, or at least the Bucks slightly below the favorites in the Celtics to come out of the Eastern Conference. And I know things change on a, on a yearly basis, but it's hard not to look at that group and say, well, Boston and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and this iteration of them, they're going to be around and at this level for a couple of years, and as long as the Bucks have Giannis, they'll be there as well. So... If I had to choose one, I would say the Celtics are their biggest rival, and it's slightly below it just because of some some jabs we've heard each throw at each other through the years. It would be the 76ers. Is that because of just Giannis and Embiid? It's mostly because of that, yeah. Um, I think there's a lot that ties to it, actually. Uh, you go back to the, the 2014 draft where uh, there was a few of us that were saying, man, you got to draft Joel Embiid and pair him with Giannis. The Bucks took Jabari Parker, and we saw how that worked out. Um, so just being linked there with how closely they were drafting with each other, two and three. Uh, ownership for both teams has kind of taken some subtle shots at each other through the years and some post-game stuff. And uh, the big thing, though, is, as you pointed out, Giannis and Embiid, whenever they play together against each other, it seems like we always get some classic games. The one last year, late in the season, that went down to the wire, where Giannis saved the game defensively and won it offensively. There was a game on St. Patrick's Day a couple of years ago as well uh, where Giannis had his uh, a 50-point game and Joel Embiid, I think, finished with 48 and the Sixers won a close one. So when they're healthy and on the floor together, there's just something special there with Giannis and Joel Embiid. I don't think there's any personal animosity between the two of them, uh, but it, it's certainly a rivalry that's starting to build. Now, to go back to Chris Middleton and when he got hurt, why, I feel like a lot of people... We're kind of saying, you know, the Bucks can still win this. Uh, and I think a lot of that, too, was maybe disrespect for Boston. I think maybe a lot of people thought maybe Boston's run late in the season was a little bit more a fool's goal than anything else. But why do you think people kind of underrate the impact of Chris Middleton? Well, it, it's it's funny because it's a, it's, it's a conversation we've had here for a couple of years now. And I would, I would say the last two years especially, uh, there's been more and more Bucks fans that have come around and, and recognized, hey, this isn't just a, a complimentary piece. He's a really good player and one of the 20 best in the league, probably. Uh, but it, it really started with his first free agent year after the uh, playoff run to the conference finals in 2019 when the Bucks brought back most of that group. And the conversation started then when you knew you were going to have to pay a lot to keep him. And the, the max word kept getting tossed around. And you had a large selection of fans that were saying, well, Chris Middleton isn't a max player. You can't pay him that much to keep him here. And, and you kind of had to have the conversation of, it's not that easy of just let him walk. You know, there's no other option with the way the salary cap and, and, and everything is in the CBA. So I think part of it was fans heard the term max with Chris Middleton and associated that with, well, that's reserved for you know, the five to ten best players in the league, not fully understanding. Now there's several different kinds of max here. So it kind of started there with his value. I think the fact that it, it still is kind of a yearly thing to see whether or not he'll fully get the respect he deserves and be mentioned as an all-star. He got it this past year again. But actually, Drew Holiday, I think most of us would say, was more deserving than Chris was. So I think that kind of shows you it's starting to turn a little bit. And I think the other thing that you hear constantly from Bucks fans is, you know, complaints about turnovers and a loose handle with the ball. But he's not your point guard. And he's a fine playmaker and facilitator. But where we were four or five years ago to now is a stark contrast where I think people kind of now – have a better grasp and understanding of just how good he is. And I, I think the big thing, too, we've seen at times 
You know, he had a 50-point game, a huge game, against the Wizards a couple of years ago when Giannis was out. He had a 40-point game in the play in the finals last year. And what he did uh, against the Nets in Game 7, where he essentially hit the game-winning shot in that series, and then the final two games against the Hawks when Giannis went down, where he had another 40-point game, he had a 20-point quarter, and he was the guy that really closed out the Hawks. I know you can say, well, it's it's Atlanta, and they were a cute story that year. Sure, but it's still, you know, you watch Giannis go down, you assume, hey, looking at that knee, he's probably not coming back this year. That can impact teams differently, and Chris was the guy that put everything on his shoulders and carried them through that. So I think fans seeing that, too, kind of realized, you know, this is Giannis's team, and everything is going to funnel through him here. If Chris was on another team and asked to be the guy, I'm not saying he'd lead the league in scoring, but Chris could be a 25 to 30 point scorer a night in the NBA if you gave him that volume. And I think we got more glimpses of that the last couple of years, which has kind of brought fans around as well. Yeah, I agree. And I also never understood the Chris Middleton hate because I'm like, he's something everybody wants. Like, he's like a, a wing who's 6'10", who can defend, he can create his own shot at all three levels of the floor. Uh, he has a nice, decent handle for his size. He's a good passer. He's unselfish. I mean, like, really, like, if you're talking about a prototypical wing for that size, guys who are better, it's like, I guess Kevin Durant's, like, the idealized version of that. Then I guess, like, a tier below is, like, Jason Tatum, and then it's, like, Chris Middleton. And I guess you could go down to somebody like Kyle Kuzma, but it's like, Chris Middleton's a really freaking good basketball player. Yeah, and, and we do this thing, uh, too, where... <laughs> You know, it's, it's almost like calling him a complimentary player and a number two. That's the other big thing is people keep saying, well, he can't be a number two on a championship team, which we dispelled two years ago when the Bucks won a title with him as the number two. Though, then you start to hear, well, maybe Drew Holiday was the number two. But, you know, go down the list of teams and look at, okay, who is technically their second best player? Chris Middleton is a better number two than a majority of those teams that you're going to point for the best teams in the NBA. And I think that's another thing, too, that people have kind of started to kind of sink in on and, and realize. The other big thing is as the league, we think, has started to change or is maybe going through the process of changing, where for the longest time the super teams were what everybody was trying to do. And I think that is another thing that kind of hurt Chris Middleton because when you viewed him as the number two, you look across at the other teams and you say, well, who's Brooklyn's number two? James Harden, Chris Middleton isn't as good as him. Who's the Warriors number two? Clay Thompson, I'd rather have him. And I think that's the other thing that kind of hurt him a little bit where he doesn't have the name value. And for the longest time, this was you got to have as many stars as you can. And people just didn't associate him at that level. So I think it, it kind of carried through it. Well, he must not be that good. Yeah, I mean, I also think it's interesting too. I mean, Let's say the Bucks had somebody on the roster who was better than Chris Middleton, like uh, just off the top of my head. Let's just say Jason Tatum and Chris Middleton was, well, the third best player. Well, then that's a super team if you have Giannis Tatum and Chris Middleton. If Chris Middleton's your third best player, that's probably a super team, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> so I don't think he's, like, that far off from everybody being, like, uh, he's not that good. I've just never understood that. But do you also think that there is an appetite for people in Milwaukee who are kind of like, okay, we want Giannis to play with another star, quote unquote? Um, it's funny. I think initially, yeah, there was a little bit of that. But, you know, we've seen the last couple of years, and look, winning a championship changes a lot of that because if the Bucks wouldn't have won the title two years ago, I think there'd be a lot of that. The way that the season ended in the bubble there was a lot of disappointment, obviously. And, and that team, what they were doing that season, they were on pace to win 73 games. And they were just blowing through the regular season. You felt like, okay, they addressed some things from falling short to the Raptors the year before. This is the best team in the league. And, you know, the bubble, it obviously changed things because they were a much different team once that started. It was apparent. You could see they were one of the teams that was most impacted by it. But Miami you know, just thoroughly outplayed them and dominated them in that series. And I think that kind of obviously caused more panic and led more and more fans to not jumping ship, but saying, man, some drastic changes need to be done here. They wouldn't have won the title in 2021. I think there would be a lot more of that, where you see names like Kevin Durant out there. And you, you would 
I think, see more Bucks fans saying, we got to do whatever it takes. Chris Middleton, whoever, we got to do that to bring in a guy like Kevin Durant. And even this offseason, when that name started to pop up, you would see conversations here in, in, among Bucks fans, locally in the media, around the team here, on Bucks Twitter about, well, Kevin Durant is available. If you pair him with Giannis, you are clearly the best team of the league. And to their credit, the majority that I've seen of the responses are, you know what, we don't need that. Everything we have in this ecosystem and Chris and Drew and Giannis, they just pair together perfectly. We don't need to disrupt it. So I think we've seen a, a big change in that sense as well. How do you think things change for the Bucks if, let's say, Harden and Kyrie are healthy that playoff series a few years ago? Yeah, it's a big if, um, especially because when you look at the first two games of that series, um, you would be hard-pressed to think the Bucks were not only going to win that series, but win a game in that series. I mean, they, they lost the first game. When James Harden went down, what, I think it was 47 seconds into game one, and to still lose after getting that, it was a little bit deflating to think, was this our best chance, and did we let this slip away? In game two, they were down by, I think it was 50 at one point, where you left that thinking, we're not even in the same class as this team, and everything you'd heard about, this is going to be an unstoppable group, it certainly seems true. I mean, I think some people forget you probably don't, but just how dominant the Nets were in that opening round series against the Celtics, that was one of the best offensive performances we've seen in playoff history. Watching that, you couldn't help but get the sense, man, we got to stop this, huh? But you knew uh, the Bucks just have to slow this down, and that's exactly what happened in Game 3, Game 4 as well, where that was both teams under 90 points. So you knew it was going to have to be a defensive game, but I, I think the big thing was was the James Harden thing because the Bucks have always done a good job of corralling Kyrie Irving. But when you saw James Harden limited as much as he was, that was the huge thing because that Nets team was really good. When you look back to the version they had last year versus two years ago, they had a lot more complementary pieces that you could find spots for and didn't have to worry about how long can we keep this guy on the floor? That's the biggest what if to me is that Nets team from that era. Now, how much is, of this is the basketball gods and, and what you hear talked about there of saying, you know what, we're not going to reward this. How much of it is just bad luck? But I, I would be hard pressed to see the Bucks at full strength beating that team at full strength that year. I don't think any team would have if the Nets would have been fully healthy. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And part of me, I will say this. Uh, I am kind of happy they did lose because I do think it, it would kind of blow your mind. It's like they never played together at all. And then they're like, okay, we're just going to show up and roll the ball out there. We're just going to like blitzkrieg through everybody in the playoffs. I'm like, okay, call it a day. <laughs> I think that would have been like, that, that would go through the whole antithesis of having a team, in my personal opinion. Yeah, I mean, that, that was the thing that I, I think is another reason why we've kind of seen more and more teams I'm not going to say move away from it but I'm going to be really curious the next few years to see what the super team per se is that you kind of get the sense that scared off a lot of, of, of GMs and team executives for a number of reasons obviously what happens if one of these guys goes down and we've depleted the rest of our bench to acquire that guy but also you know, the Nets specifically, when you talk about player empowerment, not to say it shouldn't be there, but there is such a thing as too much that I do wonder if the model has kind of shifted back to we need two stars and we need as many capable role players as we can get. Yeah, I completely agree with you because I think, and I think you saw this even with the Warriors this year. The Warriors, they go like 10 deep and it's like, okay, next thing you know, Gary Payton stepping up. Uh, then Clay Thompson, okay. Then it's Wigan it has, like, a 20-rebound game out of nowhere. Like, I think if you have, like, seven, eight guys who are capable and when their numbers call, they're ready. And you have, obviously, your high-end guys, like your, your two superstars, right? They have to play their role. But I think that's better than just having three guys and nobody else. Because in the playoffs, you are going to need, like, maybe your seventh man to have a random 35-point game. It's funny, um bring up the name of, of Gary Payton the second because we saw him early in his career that he was a big part of the Jason Kidd era Bucks and to see the growth that he went through when he was a guy that 
and a lot of times, a lot of people were questioning, man, why is this guy even seeing the floor and part of the rotation? To see what he went through to become the guy that he was in Golden State and basically become a guy that would have fit perfectly on this current Bucks team and it's the type of guy that every single team is looking for, it shows you the other part that we talk about, which I think is why you might see more moving away from just building with superstars is, you know, it's the same thing we've talked about here with this Bucks team. Eventually, you got to develop young guys because the superstar model is great and it'll keep you in the championship hunt, but you get expensive and old really quickly. So you need to find young guys that are not only rotational guys, but that you can kind of develop into something. And that's where the Bucks have really kind of come up short in the last few years. They hope Marjan Bochamp is different, but you look at some guys that have come through here and just didn't become what you hoped them to become. And then in some other cases, guys that came through here like Gary Payton and a few others that have been in the league now uh, that flourished elsewhere. So that's the other big part of building a team. What did Gary Payton seem to get better uh, to you when you were watching him play? Like, like how much better do you think he got from when he was with the Bucks to the Warriors? Like, what did you kind of notice in his development? Uh, I think he got a lot better. I think the big thing is he got stronger. And he, um, when he was with the Bucks, he was clearly, I think you could call him a one-way player. He was really just out there for defensive purposes. There wasn't really a whole lot of offense. There wasn't really any offensive ability from him. And not to say he's a big-time offensive player now, but he's at least added some things and shooting from the corners and things like that that he didn't do here. But the big thing was, you know, he was a very good defensive player when he was here, but that was basically just reserved to the backcourt. And he's gotten a lot stronger. We saw him defend positions up, especially in the, in the playoffs this past year where he's taken on threes and he can switch on to fours where at times what he was doing reminded you a little bit, not quite to the full extent, but a little bit about what, what P.J. Tucker was giving this team and, and helping them do that. Those are the guys you really need that get overlooked a lot because you know, when P.J. Tucker was here, Giannis could play the five, and P.J. could play the five, and you could interchange there. When he left, it, it wasn't quite as easy. I mean, Bobby Portis slides in there, but there's some matchups that Bobby Portis can't really switch on to a perimeter guy at times. Gary Payton was doing that with the Warriors, and... We've seen more and more of those types of guys start to flourish because it's just, hey, defend two to three, three positions here, but one of them's got to be on the perimeter. If you can switch onto a big and you know not get killed in your assignment, that's huge. And that's the biggest thing that I think I noticed that he was doing for the Warriors this past year. How do you think if KD could potentially let's go, let's say he goes to the Celtics or the Heat or something like that, how do you think that potentially just changes the dynamic in the East? If he goes to the Celtics, um, I, they're clearly the favorites. And I mean, I would assume it's it's Jalen Brown and, and something else there that, you know, if you pair him with Jason Tatum, that's a really tough matchup. And you look at it from, let's say, the Bucks' perspective, you got to look at who's taking on that assignment. And the difficult thing is you got to start to really lean on Giannis a lot more. That That was the other thing. That was really, really beneficial to the Bucks in 2021 with a guy like PJ was you could save Giannis in a lot of those matchups. Now, the injuries we talked about to the Nets certainly helped, but go back to that series. Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, and PJ Tucker were taking on the most difficult assignments, and you could let Giannis roam and be the help defender and a wing protector. If you add more wings, it starts to change things, where now you're going to have to lean on Giannis a little more. Not to say he can't take on those guys, because he's maybe the best big man defender in the league. But you don't want to have to use him. It's the same conversation we had about Giannis playing the five with PJ, and Giannis had to do that a lot during the regular season last year. It's great that he can do it, but you don't want to have to do that for a full season. You'd rather save that for the final five or so minutes of the game and big spots in the playoffs, it takes a lot out of you. It's the same thing about asking him to take on a tough defensive matchup for the entire game. He can do it, but it takes a lot out of you. And it's an 82-game season, and you need to do that in the playoffs too. So Kevin Durant ends up on the Celtics. That would be the, the biggest impact to me is you would look at a team with you know, guys like Kevin Durant and Jason Tatum 
and even guys, you know, I would assume coming off the bench like Malcolm Brogdon, who we know here, that you start to look around at okay, Chris, Drew, Wesley Matthews was was a big part of the Bucks defense last year, but all these guys on the perimeter, uh, they're taking these matchups here. So as you look around, it's we're going to have to throw Giannis on KD, or we're going to have to throw Giannis here, which we may not necessarily want to do. That's the ripple effect to me. Is not only does it make the Celtics infinitely better, but it hurts the Bucks a little bit just in their defensive matchups with that team. What do you think was the biggest difference from the Bucks in 2021 uh, when they won the championship and before that when they lost to the Raptors and they lost to the Heat? What was the biggest difference for the championship Bucks. to... Yeah. yeah uh, Drew Holiday, honestly. I mean, he, he... Well, I think it was two things. Drew Holiday changed how they were able to play offensively and defensively that Eric Bledsoe was tremendous defensively. And I think the way he played off of Brooke Lopez, it was a really good one, two punch where Brooke was defending the Ram. Eric was great at defending the point of attack, but he really could only take on point guards. And as soon as you saw Drew holiday early, you noticed, man, this is a guy that we can ask him to defend one through four. And he's perfectly fine there. And he's just as good at the point of attack as Eric Bledsoe is. He's bigger, he's stronger. So you notice that defensively, offensively was was the biggest uh, change that you saw there where, you know, it's not a knock on Eric Bledsoe. He was a very inconsistent shooter. And at times, we saw teams basically play five on four against the Bucks, especially in the playoffs, because they didn't trust the shot. And they said, look, if you want to drive to the basket, fine. We'll let you do it. It means it's, it's not Giannis doing it couldn't do that with Drew Holiday because he's got a pretty good mid-range game. He's got a really good, and it's gotten better over the last year, year and a half, a really good step back three, too. And he's just so good with both hands and so strong that he might be their best finisher at the rim for a team, even with Giannis on the team. He's that good at it. So it opened up things offensively for the team, which was really the biggest issue they had in the bubble for as much of a defensive team this is. Offense, I think, is really what failed them against the Miami Heat, and uh, Drew changed all of that for them with the way they're able to space the floor and get more consistent offensive input from him. The other big part, though, was I think that made them a better team, but when they brought in P.J. Tucker, I think that also kind of changed their attitude and kind of gave them that edge and that toughness that they needed to get past teams like the Heat and teams that kind of bullied them. P.J. Tucker brought that mentality, and I think those were the two things that kind of changed everything for them. Was there any kind of change you saw in Giannis? I think he was more relaxed, honestly. Um, you know, I, I, not that he's ever been tightly wound, but, you know, I think he saw, I have more help, and I think it was a sense of, I don't have to take on quite as much as I have. In the past, and, and you know, when you listen to him talk as well, he's—I I think at times it gets held against him, and especially going into the playoffs in 2021, when when the Bucks were getting set for their series with the Heat, and he was asked about, you know, do you think the changes you made have, have made this team a better team, and are you good enough to beat the Heat? And his response was something along the lines of, "Well, I hope so, but who knows?" And I think at the time, a lot of people took that as. Yeah, this isn't the attitude you want from the best player in the team, and this is the team that's trying to win the title. But I, I, it just speaks to him and, and who he is that it's, look, I really care about this, and I want to be the best. I want my team to be the best, but it's also not life and death. And I think once he kind of shifted towards that more so than he had in the past, I think it kind of relieved a lot of the pressure from him because he had a ton of pressure on himself after that bubble and, and how – back-to-back MVPs and a disappointing end to the season. He wasn't that great against the Raptors in the conference finals the year prior. He wasn't good against Miami either, and then he suffered the injury and missed the final game and a half of that series. Uh, But there was a ton of pressure on him, and I think he just kind of took a step back and said, you know, I'll I'll do what I can, and I'll control what I can. You hear tossed out a lot, but he really is, you know, embracing that of, I worry about what I can control. I, I do my best to control that. 
everything else, it's just outside noise, and I don't really care about it. I think that's the change that you saw is, you know, not that he was a guy that cracked under pressure, but in the last two years, you've noticed he, he just really doesn't care. And he kind of cuts it all out and he's focused on what happens on the floor. Anything other than that, you know, he, he, he mentions quite a bit. He doesn't watch sports center. He doesn't, you know, read any articles about him and pay attention to what the media is saying. And I think you kind of say, okay, sure. But the more you hear him talk and the more you get to know him and talk to him, you realize, no, that, that really is true. That like once he leaves the court, he leaves basketball away. And that's something else. And, and he just focuses on his own time and spending time with his family. And I think that was the biggest difference you notice. Not that it's a total difference, but I think he embraced that a lot more the last few years. Is Giannis the best player in the NBA? I think so. I mean, I know I'm biased, but um, I think he's the most complete player in the NBA. And I think when Giannis is rolling, he's unstoppable. And and, uh, to me, the only guy close is Kevin Durant. But that's a big if, too, when you look at the age and and the serious injuries that he's suffered, that you wonder at what point does that fall off. But I think Giannis and Kevin Durant are up there. Nikola Jokic, too, you have to put in there. Um, but if you looked at the top four or five guys in the league, I think Giannis is in his own tier, and then it's it's guys like Jokic, KD, and Joel Embiid just slightly below him. So do you think it's kind of more like how like LeBron, when he was in his prime, it was always like, okay, LeBron's just definitively the best player in the NBA, and then it's like, oh, is it Kevin Durant? Oh, is it whoever else? I think it's kind of like that way with Giannis now? I think it's a little bit like that, yeah. Um, and, and kind of like the Chris Middleton conversation we had, I think there's more people now that are putting Giannis in that. Obviously, Bucks fans and, and people here in Wisconsin have always had him there. Uh, but you've seen quite a few more national people because Giannis, for whatever reason, too, is a guy that it, it just seems like it's been tough to get the the respect he deserves. And, and there's always kind of been something there as well with his peers in the league where he, he's taken some shots at times and, and a little bit of slander that you, you – you're just not sure where it comes from. LeBron was one of those guys. It was kind of this awkward relationship early. But you've seen more guys kind of start to embrace him and point out, yeah, this is the best guy in the league. Winning the title changes a lot of that. But I think the other big part was when they knocked out the Nets, Kevin Durant was really the first guy that you heard tout him that much and say, Man, we lost and that that's the best player in the league and telling him, go win a championship. And I think seeing a guy that everybody viewed as one of the all-time greats and, and the best scorer in the game for sure, come out and say, hey, this guy's really good. I think that kind of changed the narrative a lot as well and, and led to more people kind of embracing as, yeah, this guy probably is the best player in the league. Didn't somebody, like a former player recently, say like Giannis couldn't play like in the 90s or something crazy like that? I think it was Oakley or somebody yeah. like that. Uh, well, Oakley did, I know, and... Um, that I think uh, or Andre said like Rasheed Wallace would be better than him Andre Iguodala said Rasheed uh, Iguodala said Rasheed Wallace and then uh, God, I'm blanking on it now who's the other former Cavs big man that uh, basically said something similar you know Giannis is good but he'd be okay in in, in my era which was 10 years <laughs> to Giannis what do you make of it when dudes say that and it's not like it's like a random Joe Schmo either though he's like these are people who like I play basketball at a really high level. I mean, just what do you make of that? Because I just think they're just so asinine to say. (laughs) Yeah, and I think it's pretty simple, too. I mean, the biggest flaw in Giannis' game, and it's gotten better through the years, it's not great by any means, but the biggest flaw is he's not a consistent shooter. And we've seen stretches where he's really good for, you know, a a 10- or 15-day period, and then he'll just have the random game where he takes seven threes and he misses all of them. And I think that's the big thing is because when you think about those guys that we love to romanticize over, Kobe Bryant and and Michael Jordan, they're guys that could shoot, and they put games away in the stretch. That's the other thing. Giannis isn't a closer. You hear people talk around a lot because he can't shoot. And when you think about the final play of the game, a lot of the times – it's a jump shot. So I think he's automatically discounted there, even though we've seen him do that and we've seen him close games without taking jump shots. So I, I think that's the big thing is we think the best players, when you think about basketball, 
you got to be able to shoot. And we just don't associate that with Giannis. What do you think is the best attribute in Giannis's game that makes him unique from other guys when we start talking about the best player in the league conversation? I think he's just driven. And, you know, it, it's you toss around names like Michael Jordan and Kobe a lot, but that really is the level that he's on in terms of his focus and his drive. And you see so many other players where it's just not the case. And I don't mean it as a knock, but Giannis eats, sleeps, he lives basketball. And you saw, what, five years ago when you really started to see the body transformation and see, man, this guy is literally living in the gym that, it's the drive where he sets his mind to something. He's going to go do it. He talked about staying in Milwaukee and wanting to win a championship here. You know, go all the way back to his rookie year when he was drafted. And uh, a, a couple of months later, about a year later, the Bucks helped get his family from Greece over to America and showing his dad around, his mom and dad, in the Bradley Center at the time and, and showing them the rafters of the retired numbers and, and telling them that's where they retire number of the best players that ever played for the team. There's the championship banner. I want to have my number up there and a championship banner up there one day. He's going to have both, you know, and there's pictures that went around five or so years ago of a jacked up Giannis walking around downtown Milwaukee during the summer holding a bottle of water, taking pictures, you know, with anybody that wanted a picture and the cap on the bottle of water just said MVP and that was his goal. He was really close with Kobe Bryant, too, and I think that's where a lot of it comes from. He's obviously a driven guy when you know his story, but you know when we talk about players with that type of mentality, it's, it's Michael Jordan and Kobe are the two biggest ones, and Giannis has the exact same mindset. When did you start, start to notice, maybe not even his body because that's kind of easier to see, but when did you kind of notice, like, okay, this went from, like, okay, this is kind of cute, this is a nice story, from, like, okay, he's pretty good, he's an all-star, to, like, wow, like, he's the best player in the NBA? <laughs> Um, so best player in the NBA is interesting. I know the, so the biggest difference I noticed was, you know, obviously I didn't know a whole lot about him when he was drafted. Nobody did, but I, I love the pick. And I think all Bucks fans said, great. Like, this is exactly what we need to do. We need to take a flyer on somebody that could develop into something really good. Maybe he doesn't pan out, but maybe he's great. Perfect. And that rookie season, you saw, okay, he's, he's got athleticism and, and we've got something to work with here. The second and third year is when you start to see more differences. And, and we talked about early in his career, every single statistical category improved year to year for the first time, I believe it was six years that he was in the league. He was scoring more, he was getting more rebounds, assists, blocks, all of it. So you start to realize, okay, this guy has a chance to not only be the best player on the team, I think he might be able to be the uh, an all-star for this team year in, year out. It was, uh, what I think of this was his fifth year. It was the final year of the Bradley Center. So it was the, the 2017 season going into 2018. The year prior, he had made the all-star team. And that's when he kind of started to realize, okay, this guy could be a perennial all-star. This season I was talking about it in 17-18, there was a game, two or three games into the season, where they played the Trailblazers. And it went down to the wire, and Giannis single-handedly won the game on both ends of the floor with uh, a dunk and a three-point play late in the game off of a steal that he had where he ripped the ball from Damian Lillard at the top of the key. And then he stealed the game with a block shot to close things out where you start to realize that he's really good on both ends of the floor. And I don't know if, if the... the the ceiling is just all-star form. You start to see those things throughout the course of the year, and then you start to see a 40-point game where you realize, you know, not only is this guy going to be an every every year all-star, he is probably going to be a starter in the all-star game eventually. And that was still kind of the, the cap that you put on it. And then the following year, when Bud arrived, is when everything changed, when you realized, yeah, this guy is, is one of the, five to ten best players in the league. So it was kind of a, a gradual build-up where you realize we got something here to, hey, maybe this guy can be an all-star, to, yeah, this guy will be an all-star, to, well, this guy might be one of the best players in the league. Yeah, I always think it's interesting because 
I find Giannis similar to Steph for me in that regard, as opposed to when we think of, like, the truly great players. Like, you knew when LeBron first started playing, okay, like, he's going to be a guy. Like, when Kevin Durant started playing, you knew he was going to be a guy. Like, there's some guy, like Zion, if Zion ever gets healthy, you know, he's going to be a guy. Like, and then there's guys like Steph and Giannis, and you're like, okay, like, they're okay. I remember with Steph, and it's like, okay, is he a top 20 player? Like, maybe he's okay. And then it's like, then there's the MVP season. It's like, oh, people are saying he might be better than LeBron in 2016. He's an MVP. Like, where did that come from? It's like, God, it's like, it's okay. Like, is he better than John Wall? Is he the second best player in the East? Like, remember when though, like Kyrie, John Wall, or Giannis? Like, that was a discussion three or four years ago. Then it's like, oh no, he's better than all of them, and now he's like better than LeBron Durant. It's just like crazy how those things happen. No, it's it's a really good comp, and there's a lot of the the Giannis and Steph parallels here. Uh, I mean, obviously, you go all the way back to the trade for Monte Ellis, where, depending on who you believe, the Bucks were offered Steph Curry, but but turned down the deal because they were afraid of the physical and his, and his ankles. Uh, but, you know, Steph gradually getting better and becoming, okay, this is an interesting guy to the best player in the league and a, a champion and an MVP. And Giannis doing the same here in Milwaukee. The fact that, you know, I, I would assume both of them finish their career with the same team and both are just really likable guys too that it's always been the comparison that's been out there and Steph's also been one of the guys one of the few that hasn't really shifted or leaned anti-Giannis or at least said enough to make you think I don't know if he's got a great relationship with him whereas we've heard that from guys like LeBron and some other stars in the league yeah and both guys who came to the league and like nobody kind of knew who they were, really. I yeah, I mean, if, if Steph didn't go on that run with Davidson, it, it's the same thing, where it would kind of be like C.J. McCollum, where it's, oh, I think I recognize this guy from college, but nowhere near the fanfare when he came in. Yeah, I was actually, I was looking at uh, old scouting reports, because sometimes I think it's funny to see when players are drafted, right, in sports, and then you look at, like, what their old scouting reports coming out, and it's like Steph Curry, and it's like, maybe he could be like Kyle Korver, will probably be like a 10th man in the league. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's just really funny, and then, like, Jokic is like, maybe he'll be like a Boris Diaw, best case scenario, can't play. It's just funny when you look at them, and then it's well, like, oh, like. <laughs> well, and, like, to bring it back, too, to what we started with, I mean, that it's kind of the same with Chris, with Chris Middleton, too, that he was a second-round pick, played in the G League with the Bucks and the Pistons, and the Bucks got him in the trade where they sent Brandon Jennings to the Pistons and brought in Brandon Knight. And, and look, I know John Hammond was the GM at the time. I'm sure you saw something you liked in Chris Middleton, but if you gave John Hammond truth serum, I'm sure he would tell you, look, we did not picture Chris Middleton would be anything other than a, a throw-in in this deal that maybe would be a rotational piece for us. There's no way you could have envisioned at the time that Chris Middleton would go from that to being one of the 25 best players in the league and a perennial all-star. Did you ever think that there was a chance Giannis could leave Milwaukee? Uh, so, I, um, I, I didn't think it would happen. I don't know if it was just blind hope, but um, you know, everybody that I know uh, and, and talk with with the team was always from the start very confident of no, we feel pretty good. You know, we we've, we've had more discussions with him, and this is where he wants to be. Uh, and a big part of it too is he's just a different guy. I mentioned the story too about showing the Bradley Center to his parents. His, he lost his dad since then, but the Bucks were really really instrumental in helping get them visas and, and get his family over here. His, his brother is on the team. His other brothers went to high school in the area and once now on their G League affiliate that Giannis still lives. He bought a house, but he, his mom lives there. His brother lives there. Two of his brothers live there. His girlfriend and, and children live there. So he's very family-driven. And he's talked a lot about he's very loyal to John Hammond, who's no longer here, but John Hammond was the guy that brought him over here with the Bucks and drafted him. So he's always had this sense of loyalty to John Hammond, to the former owner of the team, Herb Cole, for helping get his family over here. And just this franchise as a whole, that it, it, it you know, the more you pick up on it, it's kind of been, look, as long as you do right by me, this is where I want to be. So that was always my mindset, and, and based off everything I'd heard from people obviously much closer to the situation than me, I, I kind of felt that way of, 
I just don't see him leaving. That being said, when we went into that season of 2020-2021, you knew, okay, uh, something's got to happen here, and it was radio silence. And the first time we heard from Giannis that year, before the season started, nothing was addressed with the contract where you knew we, we got to ask him about the contract and he, he just wasn't taking questions. So if anything, you went from feeling pretty confident, yeah, he's going to be here to, should I be nervous about this? And you know, what happens if they don't win a championship or don't get past the second round and he doesn't have an extension in place. And then the extension almost came out of nowhere where, you know, we, we, uh, others that I'm uh, pretty close with that cover the team and in the media, we all had the conversation of, so when is he going to answer some questions about the contract? Or is you know, this kind of weird that it's kind of the elephant in the room of he could leave after this upcoming season. And, and then out of nowhere, the, the next Zoom call that we had with the team where players were made available was to announce, oh, by the way, Giannis has signed the extension. So I was never worried, but there was a handful of things that would pop up where you would think, am I just way too optimistic and I should be concerned about this? And I think that's the way a lot of people felt about it. Yeah, and I think if you watch Rise, and I think, well, it's really easy to say this, you know, in hindsight, easiest thing in the world, but it does seem like he's very indebted to them and he was never going to leave. That That is what it seems like, you know, from just me gleaming from the movie and the outside looking in. And I also think this too, uh, you know, you know, given his background, he's not from the States, right? And I think guys like Embiid, Jokic, like Luka, they all kind of fall into that category a little bit. Like, when a lot of these guys, when the NBA season's over, they're back in their home countries. Like, they're not in L.A., yeah. they're not in New York City. Like, like <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Giannis isn't just, like, partying up in L.A., like, trying to hang out with LeBron and Anthony Davis. No, he's back in Greece. The same with Jokic, the same with Luka, the, the same <laughs> with... Uh, Indeed. Well, and I, I think that part of that is why we talked about the, the overall attitude of his peers for Giannis. I think part of it is that, is that he, he wasn't from the AAU circuit. He's not really hanging out with these guys at the All-Star break. He's not playing for Team USA and not hanging out with that group where it seems like most of the tampering and recruiting takes place every two to four years there. So I think that's part of it. Um, but, you know, the, the other part, too, just to show how how different he is and to the point you made of where he spends his time. He spends most of the off season in Greece every year and every year he'll bring teammates with him, but it's not just, Hey, I'm going to bring Chris and Drew with me. Uh, like this past year, the guys that he had with him in Greece. And I think that's, it was for the premiere of lies. It was Javon Carter and Jordan Wara and all the young guys, Sandro Mamoukelis-Fili. Those were the guys that he said, all right, come to Greece with me, we'll hang out and we'll bond. But that's the other different thing is, you know, LeBron is hanging out with his guys and the stars, but Giannis is hey, 11th, 12th man on the team. Let me get to know you. Come to Greece with me. He even took uh, one of the Bucks basically digital content that, that runs the show for him. He's been in Greece with Giannis this entire off season, just hanging out with him. So that's just how different he is. Yeah. And it's like, when would he have interactions with guys not on his team? Because, like, you're naturally just going to have interactions with the people you work with and the people you see every day. Like, if he's not hanging around these guys in the offseason, like, maybe they congratulate each other or something on social media. I'm sure maybe they have all have each other's numbers or something. But, like, there's only so much of an interaction, to, you know, a friendship you can gain from doing that. I don't know if, like, oh, yeah, like, LeBron's, like, my boy. Like, Kevin Durant's, like, my boy. I'm sure, like, they compete against each other. There's respect. But there's really no way, if you haven't grown up knowing somebody, you're not around them all the time, it really wouldn't lend you to be like, okay, we're going to team up, we're friends. Like, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are really close friends. When Harden and Russell Westbrook together, they both play basketball in L.A. together. Like, a lot of this stuff when players join together, like Wade, Bosch, and LeBron, it's not like an, on accident these guys just, like, they're all friends. It's, it's not on accident, I think, which is something people don't realize. It's not like, you're good at basketball, I'm good at basketball. That's not really what it is. <laughs> A lot of it honestly goes back to AAU and camps when these guys were younger and, and where they grew up and, and who they were traveling around with and obviously the agencies as well and a big piece to, to do with that. Um, so I, I agree and I think that's a big part of why I wouldn't say alienated, but there's not this tight bond with some other players and Giannis. And yeah, the other part too, and I think 
if you weren't familiar, you definitely pick up on this in Rise, is just his upbringing, I think, really impacted who he puts in the foxhole with him, that, you know, how difficult it was and the struggles they went through and how tight-knit that family was. That's who he's going to stay around, and that's who's going to be his inner circle. That's never going to change, and I think that's because of everything he went through as a youngster. Yeah, I completely agree with you there. Uh, Justin, I want to thank you for calling the podcast, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. And once again, I want to thank Justin for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And I want to thank all of you for tuning into this episode, the 472nd episode of Barbershop Sports Talk.